We're going to be continuing talking about grace. Grace, again, is God's position and his stance towards you and I. So again, continue to, we want to continue to shine the big light on grace because in God's eyes, it's a huge deal. Grace, we know, came out of a man and his name is Jesus. Out of Jesus came grace and out of this grace comes truth. So for you and I to say, I'm, you know, I, I believe the truth. I want to stand on the truth. Well, in order to do that, you have to clearly understand the grace of God. And the grace of God is not just a subject. It's a person and his name is Jesus. So all of this is connected. But you and I, to live in the truth of the New Testament that we are a part of, we have to get our hearts in, rooted and established in his grace. Amen. So again, we want to put a big light, shine a big light on the sacrifice of Jesus and what he has accomplished. And that's why in Hebrews chapter 13, And verse 9, it clearly tells us, the Word of God tells us, that don't be carried away with various and strange doctrines. And how many know the opportunity to be carried away by various and strange doctrines is at an all-time high? Go on Facebook for five minutes. People believe everything. Everything is believable. It's nuts. So you and I, we have to not be carried away with that. So what do we do? It is good now that we align and actually gear our hearts to get established in grace. And why established in grace? Because in the mind of God, in the eyes of God, and in what God has done, a big deal for God is the grace of God, or it's what His Son has accomplished for us on our behalf. The cross is a huge dividing line. What happened before the cross, how people connected with the Father, and how people connected after the cross is very different. So it is a big deal that you and I put a big emphasis on what Jesus has accomplished. Because not only did he bring us into the family of God, but also the justice of God was met on that cross. So that now God can freely and lavishly pour out his love, pour out his grace, because justice has been served. It's a done deal in the mind of God. So we have got to get established and rooted in this. Now, why do I want to get established in the grace of God? I want to just lay out a couple of things again for us. Number one, it's the glory or the the glory of God or the goodness of God is revealed in his grace. You see his goodness. You see his kindness. I made this statement last week that I feel like I'm getting born again all over again, just coming back into these simple truths that we just sometimes take for granted. And the more and more established, I mean, sometimes you kind of even think or talk about the forgiveness of sin. That's just something you talk to people that, you know, are just new to this, the Christian world. No, no, this is something you need for life. When you get clarity and understanding that you are forgiven, it radically changes the way that you live. Now look at this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And again, why do I want to establish my heart in grace? Because the glory of God, the goodness of God is revealed in his grace. Right? Okay. So let's look here, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, he says, He has enabled us, talk, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthian church, to be ministers of his new covenant. So again, it all starts with him, he did it. He enabled us. Now this is a covenant not written on laws, but of the Spirit. The old written covenant ends in death. Say that with me, the old covenant ends in death. But under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life or grace imparts life. Now you can see a great example of this. You don't have to turn there, but Exodus chapter 32, you can read that when the law was first given, 3,000 people were killed. And when the day of Pentecost happened, what happened? 3,000 were added to the church when the Spirit of God came down. 
So you can see it's very distinct, very different. The law came in, and instantly, because they had built that calf and that golden idol and all that, remember Moses told the high priest, get out your swords and kill, walk down the, the, the nation and slaughter. If they're your brothers, if they're your nephews, cousins, brothers, sons, kill them. So imagine, this is, you're just standing in line. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm just dodging knives. What are you supposed to be doing? These swords just coming out. Why? It's, it's judgment had came. But now under this new covenant, 3,000 were born again. Ah, contrast. Okay, verse 7. The old way with laws etched in stone. So what is he talking about here? Etched in stone? It's the Ten Commandments. Correct? Now notice what did they do? It led to death. The Ten Commandments, is there anything wrong with the law or the Ten Commandments? No, they're pure, they're holy, they're right. But what is the purpose of them? To show us how wrong and how off we are. And what does it do? It leads to death, though it began with such glory, that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. For his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. So there was glory attached to it. Okay, for his face shone with the... Oh, click, yep. Shouldn't we expect... No, you guys can go back. I read everything that comes on the teleprompter, so we got to... <laughs> Just kidding. Movie quote. All right. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way? What's the new way? Grace. Old way? Law. New way? Grace. So now that we're in this new way, shouldn't we expect far greater glory now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? Absolutely. Okay, verse 9, if the old way, law, what does it do? It now brings, y'all, are you hearing this? What is the old way? It's the if you system. It's performance. It's on what I do. If that way, which brings condemnation, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way, grace, which makes us right with God? You know, Romans chapter 1, don't turn there, you guys can leave it there. But the Roman, Romans chapter 1, talking about the good news of the gospel, what does it do? It unveils or reveals how God has made us right in His sight. Yep. The gospel, grace, does not reveal your sin. Grace does not reveal how nasty you are. Grace reveals how good He is. This is what, that's the difference. The law shows you how off you are and how wrong you are. Grace shows how good He is and what He's done on your behalf. Okay, verse 10. In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of grace. Verse 11. So if the old way, which has been replaced, say replaced. Okay, it's been replaced, was glorious. How much more glorious is the new grace, which remains forever? You are in something that is going to last forever. Amen. Thank God. Now again, remember, just a quick highlight again, frustration in my walk or in my relationship with the Lord is the result of trying to connect to God in the wrong dispensation or the wrong age. If I'm trying to connect with God based on works or effort or performance, I will be frustrated because God's not looking at your performance anymore. I should be blessed because I do this, this, and that. Really? I deserve, you deserve hell, you deserve nothing. But in His grace, He has given us and lavished upon us every good and precious thing that heaven has to offer. If the Bible actually says, if He gave you Jesus, what else would He withhold from you? Jesus is the gem of heaven, and He gave it to you. So what's, what's paying your rent? 
No big deal to him. What's healing a little toe? No big deal to him. Why? If he gave you Jesus, he'd give you anything. Now, so what do I got to do? I have to connect with God according to the dispensation that we are in today, which is great. So this is why I have to establish my heart, because if I'm still established in the old way, again, by my performance or my actions, I'll be frustrated. But if I connect with God and align my thinking to go with what his grace has done, now connection and relationship can flourish again. Okay. When Jesus yelled on the cross, finished, that changed the relationship status. It went on, you know, from Facebook, you see the relationship status. A lot of times in the old covenant, you would just say it's complicated. And how many times do people say that about religion? It's complicated. It is. I don't get it. I'm still trying to make it right. I, it doesn't make sense. But you go over here and you see taken. I'm in a relationship. And it's great and it's lovely. So we've got to learn to change our Facebook status over from complicated to in a relationship. And it's all based on what he did. All right. Now, why else then? Do I have to be established in grace number two then? Is this because the message of grace is able to build you up and reveal to you your inheritance? Isn't that what we need is to be built up? Amen. What did the law do? It constantly put you down. Not because the law is wrong, but because you is wrong. <laughs> and the law just revealed what was already wrong on the inside of us. So what do we need now? Look at Acts chapter 20. I love this verse. Highlight this. Put it all over the place so you can see because it's the message of grace that changes you and my living. He says, and so now, again, this Apostle Paul, he's talking to his leaders, pastors that were, I mean, he groomed up and put in the Ephesian church, and he planted them there, and now he's about to be sent away knowing he's never going to see them again. And how I many you know, sometimes on people's deathbeds, we would call it, or, you know, last words, there are words that they stick with you forever, Correct. Well, this would be Paul's last words to these leaders. Now, when, you know, the Apostle Paul, who has done a lot for the kingdom of God, he's ready to say something. I'd get my ears going up a little bit. I go, what is he saying? This is what he says. And so now I entrust you into God's hands and the message of his grace. Why? Because it is able to make you strong. Other translations, able to build you up. He continues on. He's saying all of God's blessings are imparted through the message of his grace, which he provides as the spiritual inheritance given to all of us as his holy ones. So for us, what is Paul saying? He's saying, hey, this is, I'm not going to see you guys again. So I'm entrusting God into his, into you, into the hands of God. And I'm also entrusting you, giving you the message of his grace, which is able to build you up. I don't know about you, but when I get in contact with the grace of God, I don't go, oh, man, I just, I wish I could just be better. No, it builds me up going, Lord, I, I want more. I want more of this. I want more. You're amazing. Here's more of my life. Amen. When you hear the grace of God. Now, again, remember, grace, again, is God's provision for everything we need. Grace always acts first on behalf of mankind and reveals how good he is in spite of you. So a lot of times you'll be standing there, I got blessed. Lord, I don't deserve this. Exactly. You don't. But the good news is you have a God who says, you're worth it to me. That's the good news. Now, religion, on the other hand, again, a relationship with God based on performance. It is Satan's attempt to keep me from seeing and experiencing the grace of God because you're so focused on your measure that you don't measure up. So it's his trap. Religion really has caused more damage than anything else in the world. There's wars in religion. 
But Jesus didn't come say, let's start another religion. Here I am. He actually came to establish a new way of operating and a new way of connecting with the Father. So you've got to jump ship. I'm telling you, that thing's sinking. It is dying. It doesn't work. It leads to condemnation. So if you're constantly feeling bad and guilty that you didn't do this or you should have done that, let me tell you, you are in religion. Oh, how dare you? But I'm in church. That means nothing. You have to make the change to start getting it off of yourself and start highlighting Jesus and what he did. Your life will start to flourish. All right. Now, establishing my life in grace is taking the time to renew my thinking and get my focus on the obedience of Christ and all that his obedience has accomplished on my behalf. Does that make sense? So now establishing yourself, anytime that you're looking to get roots or build a strong foundation in your life, it takes time. There is a process to establishing. And what's the process? Learning to change the way I think from this old complicated system to now coming into a beautiful relationship with the Father through what Jesus has done. There's some time that takes in there. You're going to have to go to the Word because, again, the Word of God is there. It's profitable to teach, to instruct, to correct you when you're wrong. You know, people a lot of times are very touchy today, so I would just encourage you, when you get into the Word of God, get ready to be touched in a way that you may not like. How... How can you say something like that? The word needs to correct us. If you think you know it all, that's your problem is you know it all. And listen, God doesn't talk to know-it-alls. Why? Because they know it all. So what do we do? We humbly come to the word. Lord, teach me from your word. I don't know everything. Can we say that together? That felt really good. I don't know everything. That's a freeing statement. I don't know everything. Lord, help me. I, Joel Housing, do not know everything. I am still learning to cut off myself, you know, being breastfed on this side. I got to start weaning off that and start connecting to grace. Because what is it? I'm depending on me. Yeah, but Lord, I've been pretty good. You should have saw me raise my hand at worship, man. I wanted to hit those drums for you, Lord. Means nothing unless I'm completely dependent on him. Moving right along. Okay. Now, Romans chapter 5, verse 19. This is the verse again. It should be blue in your Bible or yellow or pink or highlighted. You can pick your color on your iPad. But this is the shift. One man's disobedience opened the door for all humanity. How many? All humanity to become sinners. So they were born this way because of what Adam did through one man. Okay? One man did this. But... So also one man's obedience, what did he do? He opened the door for many to be made perfectly right with God and acceptable to him. Now the choice is yours. Who are you going to identify with? A lot of times, this is where the the weaning comes off, where the switch takes place. Yeah, but my past. Yeah, but what I did yesterday. Yeah, but I did this. This is how I thought. This is what happened. This is, you're identifying with the old man's disobedience. And said, what do we have to constantly do? Shine the big light on Jesus. Constantly get that big light on what Jesus has done. The obedience of one man opened the door for me to experience a right relationship with God. So it's not about you. The Bible's not about you. It's all for, there's a lot of there for you, but it's about two men. And you, the whole world's got a choice. Who do you want to identify with? The old man, Adam, 
or the new man Christ. The choice is yours, but I encourage you, you're going to be stuck here. It ain't pretty. Over here, it's glorious because it's all what he did. Now, so again, what do I do? I have to align my thinking and my believing to line up with what the obedience of Christ has done on my behalf. This is the work of faith that we do. It's changing my thought. This is the exchange. Exchanging my belief system that I had in the old system. And I'm taking on a new belief system. I'm taking on a new way of living. Okay, that's what he did. That's okay. I got to see that. I see that. You're establishing yourself. So that's why it's a process. Now, again, I want to show you this verse in Hebrews chapter 3. Because this is the New Testament work. People are saying, well, what what do I got to do? Well, what's my job in the New Testament? As a Christian, what's, what's my work? Your work as a New Testament believer is to believe. That's my work. So God swore an oath that they would never enter into his calming place of rest, all because they disobeyed him. Now we're going to see in verse 19 again. It is clear that they could not enter into their inheritance because they wrapped their hearts in... God interchanged the word disobeyed with unbelief. Do you see that? So what is New Testament disobedience? Unbelief. What is New Testament obedience? It's believing. So every time you in the scriptures, you see that word obey, change it for the word belief. Every time you see disobey, see, oh, not believing. And so really that goes back to the simplicity of what is faith? What is believing? It's a choice. It is a choice to transfer from this old system to transferring into this place of grace. It is a choice. You can't keep saying, well, you know, this is what happened. No, you're choosing to identify with the old man, Adam. You're choosing to identify what happened to you. You're choosing to identify what you did or did not do. You're choosing to go continually back into the failure of who you are and what you did. Choosing that, the Bible says, leads you now to condemnation. And you'll be stuck in the same cycle over and over and over again. You can't help somebody that chooses to stay there. You can't. So what needs to take place? The message of grace has to be proclaimed because, again, grace, the message of grace, the message of Jesus builds you up. You hear what he did for you. And now, oh, I don't have to be stuck here anymore. What am I going to do? I'm going to make the choice to come on out of there and receive and enjoy what he purchased for me. Do you see? It's a transfer. It's all that it is. So now, my inheritance. There is an inheritance that Jesus purchased for me, but if I don't believe it, meaning living like it's true, I will not experience it in my life. Oh, but I'm going to pray hard for it. No, 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 no. That's why our prayers are going amiss. We're praying for God to do something that he's already done. And he's going, I already gave it. Lord, I just, I need this. I just, I wish I could just, you know, feel a little bit better. He's already provided it. So what's wrong? Wrong thinking. Right thinking equals right living. When I think like God, I'll get God's results. So now the inheritance that I've received because of how good I am? No, the inheritance I've received because of the obedience of one man, Jesus, is provided for me, but I have to believe it in order to touch it. So what did he provide for us? We're going to look here again in Romans chapter 5, verse 16. If you guys could throw that up there. Romans 5, 16. It says, this free-flowing gift... No. 
imparts to us much more than what was given? No? Okay. So you guys are going to have to just hear me out on this one. There it is. Thank you. This free flowing gift. So we're talking real quick about our inheritance. That's not my phone. I'll tell you that right now. That's not me. This free. So we're talking about our inheritance here for a minute now, right? Right? We're, we're good. So this is the inheritance that's given to us. We have a spiritual inheritance through Jesus. We're going to read this as a part of it. This free flowing gift imparts to us much more than what was given to us through the one who sinned. For because of one transgression, we are all facing a death sentence with a verdict guilty. So we've all heard that. Anybody ever hear that in their life at some point? Not necessarily out here, but just on the inside. Guilty. Yeah? Okay. But now this gracious gift leaves us free from our many failures and brings us into the perfect righteousness of God, acquitted with these words, not guilty. Say it with me, not guilty. Now the key is to hear that on the inside of you. To hear those words on the inside of you is where your life will drastically change. It's great, we can hoop and holler and say not guilty, but what happens when you go and you mess up and you do something that's off the mark, which is sin? What do you hear? Oh, man. And it takes you three days to get out of the phone. I'm learning this myself. So you're stuck here. What do you do? Oh, man, if I... Oh, okay, okay, if I could just be better, Lord, take this feeling away. Lord, this is all good. Praise the Lord. Pray. You're not even really into it because all you're wrapped up in is guilt. Ha, ha. So what do I have to do? Just meddle in this and hopefully this feeling leaves in about three or four days? No, what do you do? You turn and you shine the big light on what Jesus has done and you go, forgiven, 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 not guilty. And feelings will follow. Because if you go by how you feel, we'll all be stuck in condemnation for a very long time. So that means you can, we're going to get into this repentant, we're going to get into this today, but I can actually move from this place of, oh man, man, Lord, I'm sorry, sorry, and just go, Lord, I, I missed that mark, I missed that. I'm, can you show me by your grace how to now live properly and how would I make this right? What am I doing? Shining the bit like I can go as if nothing ever happened. Well, you have to have some sort of guilt that shows that, you know, at least there's some remorse on your end. No, did you know that worldly remorse leads to death? <laughs> All right, now, let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about him. Our Father, he declares us not guilty, correct? What does that mean? A total forgiveness of sin, past, present, and future. Not guilty means a perfect standing before God. Not guilty means I stand in this place of undeserved privilege. Not guilty also means that I am free to live a godly life, and in that way, I'm free from living sin. Why? Because I've heard, not guilty. See, sometimes people think that when you start talking about this not guilty stuff, that you're, man, you are free, you are completely free, that people will want to sin. That's not the case. I don't know about your life, but my life, I know from my own personal experience, the more and more I come in contact with the grace and the forgiveness of God, I don't want to just start going around doing stupid things. What I want, I want more of my life to be devoted to Him. Have more of my life. So again, 
Revelation, what's going to fuel my dedication to the Lord is the revelation of how good he is. I don't need somebody to say, you need to be dedicated to the Lord. You need to be spending time in his word. You need to be praying. You need to be better. You need to be doing this. You need to be doing that. You need to be raising your hands. I don't need that. Why? Because I'm motivated because of my revelation of seeing how good he is. I want to do this. It changes drastically. So what's happened? We got to see him. And we got a bunch of churches full that have never seen or experienced the grace of God. So they're trying to make things work. They're trying to behave right. They're trying to experience him. And he's not there. Where is he? He's over here. He's not going to come back down and say, well, you're working hard. That would be to slap Jesus across the face and say, what you did isn't enough. I also have to participate in this to experience God. Ludicrous. You put it in that terms, it makes no sense. So what do we do? Jesus, 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 Jesus. High experience, experience, experience. Okay. So now this Jesus, again, complete forgiveness of sin. We're going to just touch on this, finish it off today. But again, the key to living a more confident and bold life, Christian life, first and foremost, I have to have this revelation. I am free from sin. I've been forgiven. I've been free from it. Secondly, again, because too many believers are battling guilt. They're battling fear. They're battling condemnation. Why? Because they aren't convinced that they are totally 100% forgiven. You can put all these different names on it. You could blame so-and-so. You could say so-and-so did this, so-and-so didn't do that. Put all the blame on it. But when it comes down to the the real nitty-gritty, you don't believe that you are totally forgiven. So as a result, what do people do? They hide from God just like Adam and Eve did. The father never turned away. The father wasn't hiding on them. They hid on God. The same thing for us when all of a sudden, oh, I shouldn't have done that. What do we do? We hide and we go into this corner. Meanwhile, the throne room of grace is wide open to get the help you need, to show you the direction how to live, to empower you, to build you up, to show you how to live godly in this wicked and perverse generation. But instead, we got a bunch of believers that are hiding from God because they're embarrassed. They're full of shame. Stop it. Jesus paid too high of a price for you to be head down. Oh, he's just shy. No, he's not. God never created a shy human being ever. You're not shy. Your kids aren't shy. Just because you're an introvert doesn't mean you're shy. Preach it now. I'm sweating up here. All right. Okay, now, again, don't just think that this forgiveness of sin is some basic revelation that you only talk to new Christians about. When you get a revelation, this power, understanding that I'm forgiven, totally forgiven, has the power to set me free and experience all that God has in store for me and start enjoying and living victoriously in this life. So what do we do? I I throw myself at the grace of God. Now, Jesus, let's turn here, Luke chapter 7. I want just to show you this story. Because when you know you're forgiven, there's fruit that comes out of you. Right? And we're going to see here what's one, of that, what's one of those fruits. So now a Jewish religious leader named Simon asked Jesus to his home for dinner. Jesus accepted the invitation. And when he went to Simon's home, he took his place at the table. In the neighborhood, there was an immoral woman on, of the streets known to all to be a prostitute. So she had a reputation. When she heard about Jesus being in Simon's house, notice the fruit because we're going to find out here in a sec. 
that she has already experienced the forgiveness of sin. She's already experienced that. Now you're seeing the fruit of this. So she took an exquisite flask made from alabaster, filled it with the most expensive perfume, went right into the home of the Jewish religious leader. Say what now? Girl, you, what, what are you doing? I'm forgiven. I don't care. I don't care. Say with me, I don't care. Why? I'm forgiven. And she knelt at the feet of Jesus in front of all the guests, broken and weeping. She covered his feet with the tears that fell from her face. She kept crying and drying his feet with her long hair. Over and over she kissed his feet. Then she opened her flask and anointed his feet with this costly perfume as an act of worship. When Simon saw what was happening, he thought, this man can't be a true prophet. If he really were, he would know what kind of sinful woman is touching him. Now Jesus said, now remember, this was just a thought he had. Simon, I have a word for you. <laughs> and if you do some study in the Greek, he was excited. Bring it on. I bet you he said, let the wild hog eat. What do you, what do you want to say? What do you want to say? <laughs> Go ahead, teacher. I want to hear it. He answered, all pious. It's a story about two men who were deeply in debt. One owed the bank $100,000 and the other only owed $10,000. When it was obvious, now to the Lord, it's obvious that neither, nobody on this planet could ever repay their debts. But these two men could not repay their debts. This, the kind banker graciously wrote off the debts and forgave them all that they owed. Tell me, Simon, which of the two debtors would be most thankful? Which one would love the banker the most? Simon answered, I suppose it would be the one with the greatest debt forgiven. Gold star. You got it, Simon. You're right. Well done. Verse 44, then he spoke to Simon about the woman still weeping at his feet. Do you see this woman kneeling here? She is doing for me what you didn't bother to do. Forgiven people, I don't care. Man. When I entered your home as a guest, you didn't even think about offering me water to wash the dust off my feet. Yet she came into your home and washed my feet with her many tears, and then she dried my feet with her hair. You didn't even welcome me into your home with the customary kiss of greeting, but from the moment I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't take the time to anoint my head with fragrant oil, but she anointed my head and feet with the finest perfume. Why did she do all this? Verse 47. She has been forgiven of all her many sins. This is why... She has shown me such extravagant love. What's the fruit of understanding total forgiveness? Extravagant love. My worship, my devotion to him. I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't care what anybody says. I love my Jesus because I'm forgiven. Yes, it's so easy to sing, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Can you personalize that? For God so loved Joel that he gave his only son, Jesus. That when Joel believed in him, he will not perish, but he's going to have everlasting life. <sighs> this is why she has shown me such extravagant love. But those who assume, that's the key thing, those who assume, assumption is dangerous. They assume that they have very little to be forgiven of. 
Well, they'll love me very little. Well, I grew up in a Christian home. I, I mean, I'm, I, I'm basically perfect. If you assume that's because you grew up so great that you don't have a crazy background in, like, in the lost sinful world, that you're okay? You still have been forgiven so much. So what do I need to do? I need to understand grace. I need to go back and see I'm forgiven. I've been forgiven of so much. Then Jesus said to the woman at his feet, all, say with me, all, 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 your sins are forgiven. All the dinner guests said among themselves, who is the one who can ever forgive sins? Careful who you invite to your party. I'll just tell you. Verse 50, then Jesus said to the woman, your faith in me has given you life. Now you may leave and walk in the ways of peace. Can you imagine what's going on on the inside? This guilt, this condemnation, this, oh, she hears these words, all your sins are forgiven. Now go and walk in peace. Just that, that voice of, or the boasting of sin and grave <laughs> snapped over her and sure she went. Do you think she continued living as a prostitute? Well, I mean, if you tell people, you know, you've been forgiven of all your sin, aren't they going to just continue sinning? This lady, clearly not. She gave her heart completely devoted to him. Why? She understood that she's been completely forgiven. Now, I want to just bring out this, highlight this word all again. Look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. All your sins are forgiven. This is a perfect tense, meaning that forgiveness is a non-negotiable. It is a perfectly done deal. This realm of death describes our former state. For we were held in sin's grasp, but now we've been resurrected out of that realm of death, never to return, for we are forever alive and we are forever forgiven of all our sins. What are we doing? Come on, y'all, keep, keep the light on Jesus. Keep the big light. Don't, don't start going on, oh man, but I wish, I wish I could. No, no, no. Choose to believe that. You have to choose who you're identifying with, okay? Now, again, man's idea of all is different from God's idea of all. Man's idea, and I know I've even said it, I've probably done it my own self, is that we believe that we are forgiven from the time we are a child to the time that we are whenever we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So you get saved at 60. So, okay, Lord, I, I, Jesus, come into my heart. I ask for your forgiveness. Thank you. I receive it. Oh, glory to God. Jesus is Lord. I'm saved. Now, from 60 all the way back, I've been completely forgiven, but not the one when I'm 61, 62, 63, 64, 65, and I'm guaranteed going to do something stupid in that time. We think that it's only the ones from when I accepted Jesus and backwards. Where did we get that? There's no Bible verse for that. That's man's, that's man's perspective of what all means. I've, I've had that thought. And so the Lord's had to correct my thinking to line up with Scripture because God's perspective of all is different than mine. His perspective of all is right here. All your sins are forgiven. Look at it like this. This is, this is an analogy that helped me kind of get it. In a parade, you know, anybody gone to a parade lately? Probably not, hey? We don't really have... Well, we have some in our house. So if you ever want to come to a parade, we got... It's a four-person parade, and it's usually a diaper at the end. That's kind of how it looks. But what happens in that time is that during the parade, you see one character come. You know, maybe there's one boat over here. And so we kind of go, oh, yay, hey, good to see you. Hi, hi. And then so one by one, they all come. Well, God, all the, now just pretend now you have a drone and the drone goes up into the sky. And what does the drone get? The drone gets a picture of the beginning and he gets a picture of the end. 
The drone sees the whole parade. He knows what's coming down the line all the way through. And he goes, oh, that's a nice view. God has a drone point of view. He sees the beginning and the end. So when he says all your sins, he's saying past, present, future, all has been kindly forgiven because of my son Jesus. So what do we do? Look again, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12. There's verses all over the Bible on this. For I will demonstrate, this is God speaking. I will demonstrate my mercy to them and will forgive their evil deeds. And what is he going to do again with the sin? Never again will I remember your sins again. Now, but why, God? Doesn't God want to have some kind of power over us? Does he want to blackmail us a little bit here and there? No, he's a wonderful dad. Why on earth would God get rid of all sin? Because number one, he didn't want his children living in condemnation. Because condemnation is a killer. It's what's robbing you of your joy. How many of you had a crappy week last week? Not necessarily because of you know, all the mistakes you made, but because you're guilty of all the mistakes that you made. He doesn't want you in that. So what do I have to do? i got to believe it. Revenge, judgment, guilt, condemnation, inferiority, shame, regret, suspicion could not be treated lightly. They are enemies of romance. So what happened? If rules could do away with the sin, then the law would be our opportunity to save ourselves by making right decisions. But God in His mercy and in His justice did not demand a sacrifice of us. He supplied one. He supplied it. And then, in order to persuade our worth to him and to convince us of his heart towards us, he sent Jesus. And in the language of intense, complete love for you, he said these words to John the Baptist, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He hates what sin does to us. He hates sin, absolutely. But not only that, but he hates the effects of sin, which is guilt, condemnation. You can't have a good relationship with the Father in condemnation. It doesn't work. Imagine that in a marriage. If I'm constantly walking on tiptoes with Jamie, or if she's doing that with me, having this, are you going to be okay? Like, uh, It won't work. There's no romance in that. And said, what has the Father done? He didn't demand one of you. He supplied a perfect sacrifice. And said, hey, I want you completely. This is the Father. This is who our God is. Now, you and I, we are joined to Christ. We doing okay? I got a few minutes. You're joined to Christ. Look what you have. This is your inheritance. This is what you've been given. 2 Corinthians 5.17 said, any man be in Christ. He is a new creation. The old has passed away. The fresh and the new has come. So what do I got to do? I have to see the fresh and the new and choose to believe it rather than being stuck in the old. Right? Okay. Hi, Penny. She's sneaking behind me. Okay. Now, Penny, I have a few verses, so just sit tight with me for one sec. Ephesians 1 verse 7 in the Passion Bible. Look again at what you have. Since we are now... Look at these three. Read these three words because this, this is what makes all the difference. You are now... Joined to Christ. I am joined to Christ. Say it one more time. I am joined to Christ. 
shining the big light. Because I'm joined to him, I have been given. Do I have to earn this? A gift is a gift. What does it have to do? Receive it. How do I receive? I choose to believe this. I have been given the treasures of redemption by his blood, the total cancellation of my sins. Why? All because of the cascading riches of his grace. I don't deserve to be forgiven. Exactly. Can that get in your head yet? Exactly why? Otherwise, it's not grace. Again, we saw this last week, but that word we have in the Greek is a perfect tense, meaning that there's not a past, there's not a a future. It's presently, constantly working. I'm not trying to get forgiveness of sins. I have it. Say with me, I have it. You got to take ownership of this stuff. I got it. It's mine. The devil will chirp. The devil will talk. Sin will talk. Constantly talk, 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 talk. What do I got though? I got to go. Rather than being moved by emotions, what do I have? I have the total cancellation of all sin. It's mine. Why don't just reach out for a sec. Just see that forgiveness right in front of you. Come on, y'all. You got to do this. This is an act of faith. I'm done with condemnation. I'm done with the shame. I have total cancellation of my sin. When we say that together, let's pull it in. I have total cancellation of my sin. I have it. It's mine. So what do I do? I keep talking it. I keep speaking it. Every time the devil brings up, well, this. I have total cancellation of sin. It's mine. My days of condemnation are over. Next, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 12. Again, the Apostle John is writing. He says, I write to you, little children, because... Your sins are. Again, that Greek tense is a perfect tense. Are meaning it's a continuance. I continually have forgiveness. Why? For his namesake. And not only that, I'm free from all this, but God will not judge the same sin sin twice. Oh, but God, I did this. It was all thrown on Jesus. Every sin you could possibly imagine. Everything that you could possibly imagine has been thrown on Jesus. He died with it. God will not judge the same sin twice. So if you're thinking, well, God, this one, you didn't cover this one, though. He did. I promise you he did. Otherwise, your Christianity is useless. Might as well just go out to the party. Just go to the bars. Just go do your thing. Go do your own stuff. Have fun out there and then just die. Because if he didn't cover them all, I'm screwed. So is you. So our faith is completely that Jesus took them all, every single one of them. Do you believe that? So he's not going to judge you or make you pay for one that Jesus already did. That's to slap Jesus in the face. And God would have to say to Jesus, I'm sorry that I had to judge it twice. This guy was just too bad, so I had to judge him on that at the same time. Those words will never come out of the Father. Because when he looked at Jesus, when he saw it, he said, my justice is fulfilled, done. That's why Jesus yelled, Finished! Lastly now here, you know, before I read 1 John 2, verse 12 in the Passion, it says, I remind you, dear children, your sins have been permanently removed because of the power of his name. Last verse on this, and then I got one more. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says, So now the case is closed. There remains no more accusing voice of condemnation against those who are what? Joined in life union with Jesus, the anointed one. That condemning voice. That, does, that means 
He's going to try talking. The accuser of the brethren is going to keep talking about what you didn't do. But now you have to actually literally take a file folder, close the case on it, put it away. Not just put it away, burn it. Why? Because, again, the cross doesn't just, you know, suppress sin. It removed it. So now the father, all of a sudden, he, he's looking. He's like, I can't find nothing. There's no sin. Yeah, no, I didn't. I, yeah, we swept under there too. There's no trace of it. Now, to finish off with this, if we do sin, then what? Now what? I missed the mark. I chose to step out of love, and I've become a punk. I've done something that's totally against the word or the will of God. So what do I do? I'm just going to hang out in Condemnation Avenue for a few weeks. Lord, then I'll, then, I, then I'll pay for it. I'll just give me a month. I'll just be grumpy, miserable. I'll just be a total nuisance and a wreck to everybody that I live with. And then when I'm done paid for it, then I'll come out and I'll just say, sorry. And then I'll just start living my Christian life again. That's how we think. At least I do. I'm the only one in the house. Okay, that's cool. All right. So what do we do? 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. You are my dear children, and I write these things to you so that you won't sin. But if anyone does sin, we continually have a forgiving Redeemer who is face to face with the Father. So again, what is John telling us? He points you right back to the cross and say, go back to the cross. Go back to the cross. Go back to the cross. Because what does this mean? My standing with God does not dwindle when I make a mistake. When I sin, I get off the mark. My, my standing before God is set because of what Jesus has done. Now, if I have wronged someone, I have to make that up. Because do you think I'm the perfect husband all the time? Yes, you do think that, don't you? Oh, yes, you do. The reality is, Jamie, did you want to... Oh. I'm just saying that was your opportunity. That was your chance. You didn't take it. So all I can say is perfecto. All right. But when I don't talk to her right, when I don't treat my kids properly, it's not like, well, I'm forgiven by God, so suck it up. No. If you're going to be living under and in this grace, you become gracious. Man, Jamie, I, I misspoke. Girl, I am, I'm so sorry for the way that I treated you, for the way that I spoke to her. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And Jamie, being the most forgiving girl I've ever met in my life, said, of course. So I go, sweet. And we move on. Now, my standing with God never changes when I mess up, when I sin. But what do I need to do is going rather than this place of, oh, God, like, I'm just so sorry. I just messed this up. No, he says we have Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also the sins of the whole world. He's already taken care of that. So what do I do now? I go, Father, I see from your word. I missed it. I sinned against you and your word. I'm asking you to forgive me. But at the same time, can you show me? from your word, how to do this properly. And listen, we're going to have to start figuring out like what's, what's going on. Because some of the things that we think are, are not an issue are offended. We just go, well, the Lord will justify that. No, if you are constantly living in offense, you is stuck. 
if you have anything, the Bible even tells us, 1 John says, if you have anything against a brother, that means sister too, anything against them, you're actually walking in spiritual darkness, but you don't even realize it. So what happens? That's the key to self-deception. Well, that's what they did. It doesn't matter what they did. It doesn't matter at all. What's my job? Is to continue to live in the way that God has called me to live, which is to live in the love of God. That's the call. So I stay here because a step out of love is a step into sin. So what do I do? I make it up. If somebody, if, you're, if there's some odds between somebody, what do I do? Approach them. Talk to them. Thought of it. Like seriously, we are like doing grade four arguments. Well, they did. I'm not going to talk to them for a while. You tell so-and-so what I think about that. Grow up. So what do we do? If there's a problem, Jesus actually said, if there's a problem within the church, if there's a problem with any, rather than going out to the courts out there and try to figure it all out who don't even know God, work amongst yourselves. You got the spirit of God on the inside of you. So if there's something wrong, say, hey, is there something between us? Yeah, there is. Let's talk it out. We can still have a discussion and not be at each other. Am I, Julian, is that right? That's right? Okay. Julian said it's right, so it's got to be right. So I want to encourage us because now you've been totally forgiven, but now this forgiveness that I totally experienced, does that mean I can just go live however I want to live? No, because now that I'm in freedom, I don't want to abuse the freedom that I've received. So what do we do? We enjoy the grace of God, the freedom of God. You are completely and totally forgiven, so I can say I'm not guilty. Can we say that together again? I'm not guilty. Not guilty. Amen. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Lord, right now we just receive those powerful, grace-filled words, not guilty, deep within ourselves, deep within our soul. Lord Jesus, we ask you to help us to transfer the, the old way of living into this new way. Help us to renew our mind properly. Help us to renew it with your word. And we ask you, sir, by the precious blood of Jesus, that we live free, that we move forward in this life, taking ground for your kingdom and advancing powerfully in these last days. Because Jesus, through the washing of your word, you have built up your church, you have equipped your church, and again, you are going to prove and demonstrate your victory through us in these days and in this city. We thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.